Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining podcasts. Society-13.com. I like to listen. Welcome to Channel 9 of the STRY Radio Network, where stories live. Before you listen to this podcast, be aware this show often uses very naughty language. If you don't like that, you shouldn't listen. Send your complaints to I am a whiny baby with no sense of humor at nightstory.com or stop by the studio. I'll take you for a ride to a story of my choosing. Welcome to the Ninth Story Podcast. I'm Immortal Alexander. I am Jeanette Andromeda. And today we have on author Trisha J. Woldridge. A.K.A. T.J. Woldridge, A.K.A. Authorized Talk. <laughs> so we're going to start off the episode with a poem by Trisha, and then we're going to go right on to the interview. So enjoy that, and we'll be right back. The Circus Under the Bed by Trisha J. Woldridge. What was that noise there neath your bed? Some whisper hissed song now long fled. A skittering whirl of legsy clack dread. Something real you fear, not just in your head. Sleep on. (laughs) It's only the circus under your bed. Woke with a start, felt your heart stop. Asleep in a dream in the knot. That special moment, from your special head, a figment was born, burst forth with a pop. And who, with luck, found the circus under your bed? Once, when the world was ever dark, fire was magic, dangerous spark. Nightmares were real, not just under the bed. Monster or mere shadow, there was no mark if a figment were friend, or if on babes it fed. Fear weaves dark spells, whispers in hate. Figments and dreamers forged sad fate. Monsters from figments grew up neath the bed, and believing the fear did truth create that dreamers' very gaze could kill figments dead. Dreamers make lies when spoken. Monsters simply childhood's token. Still, children fear monsters under the bed, and figments fear each dreamer awoken. Life hangs in the balance during checks neath the bed. Child dreamers are told nothing's there. Child figments are told always beware. Do not ask questions, obey rules instead. Fear lives and grows under the guise of care, making monsters of the circus under the bed. What dreamers forgot but is true. Figments do not mean to hurt you. Figments have families. Some even wed. They dance and play. That's what circuses do. Figments live just like us, only under the bed. Circuses are all over Earth. Any dreamer's dream can give birth. Each new figment knows to hide neath the bed and hope for a circus's protective mirth, to love them and keep them safe there under the bed. While circuses mean dreamers no harm, Should a figment find no circus warm, cold and afraid, they do change in their dread. Loneliness works a most horrible charm. The figment becomes the monster under the bed. So from when good dreams you might stray, startle wake far from light of day, don't 
fear the noises you hear neath your bed with love to whomever you pray. Please ask that a circus may be under your bed. Interview, interview, that's what we do here on the ninth story. We like to scare you and educate you. That's totally a theme song from someone else. And I'm just in a very musical mood today. I don't know why, but welcome back from that lovely poem. And now let's actually talk to Trisha J. Woldridge. Welcome <laughs> to the Ninth Story Podcast. This is episode 509, where we are interviewing the esteemed author... Trisha Woldridge. And yes, there's a D in that name. Make sure you pronounce it sirs and madams. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Yay! <laughs> so um, I feel like you have been one of the authors I've been uh, internet stalking ever since. Hmm, that was another one of the rock and shock interviews. Yeah. And I was just like, this person's Thank amazing. You. <laughs> Thank you. She's been hanging out outside of your digital window for hours. Are you okay with that? <laughs> I, I'm okay with that. Yay! When I, do, <laughs> when I do interviews for the bookstore I work at, my other, other, other job, um, one of my questions for authors is, how can people follow you or otherwise stalk you in a non-creepy way? <laughs> well, because these days we kind of want stalkers. We call yeah. them fans in a good way. At one point, fanatics were kind of a bad thing. <laughs> but now, hey. Yeah. As long as you're waving the knife around in your bedroom and not in our bedroom, it's fine. Okay. Yeah, I'm good with that. That's the difference, guys. You're not a yep. creepy stalker if the knife is in your own bedroom. Right. <laughs> Please don't wave Although I have around. a pretty phenomenal collection of blades at my house anyway, so... So... And, and Jeanette's got a really point. cool uh, Vorpal blade, <laughs> Vorpal blade repli uh, replica from uh, uh, American Me Gaze Alice. We yeah. have one out here somewhere. Also mm -hmm. in our bedroom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I guess Whoa, bedrooms are that? good places for... Yes. That weird quarter metallic pop just now? That was me uh, cough laughing into the microphone. Wow. I apologize. I will, I will try not to do that again. <laughs> Sounds like somebody like pistol whipped a pistol. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I will try to be quieter. <laughs> um, for once, you can actually hear me. Hey! <laughs> so, uh, Trisha, why don't you tell us a little bit about your beginnings as a writer and, uh, yeah. what, kind, and what kind of style do you kind of stick to? Um, well, my very, very beginnings as a writer, I, I like to say, go back to like elementary school where we would get weekly vocabulary sentence assignments. And I would like be so thrilled with whatever the week's vocabulary assignment was that I'd be like, I'm going to make new sentences and I'm going to go show my mom. <laughs> and so like I always had that in me nice. and I managed to work in like I got um two AP credits for writing a uh, novella in Spanish. I worked at the school newspaper um, in high school. So I pretty much always worked writing into everything. And my first like office job when I still did office work was at a uh, investment company. And I finagled my way into rewriting a lot of the um, information for the phone call people. Um, and the representatives, because that was way better than talking with actual customers. <laughs> Indeed. Hey, those those call scripts are actually legitimately very helpful. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> hey, here's uh, the things I'm supposed to say. Come buy stuff. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, so that made it easier. And also when you're dealing with, like, finances, the uh -huh. rules, what you... What you can and cannot say for investments is very important mm. because lawsuits and money. Yay, uh, lawsuits. Yeah, yeah. we know and all so, that stuff. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> we were, we've worked oh. in uh, film for a while, so we definitely deal, dealt with the, uh, oh. the the legal aspect for that as well. Yeah, it's it's scary. It's scary writing fiction too. Well, I did um I did journalism after that when I finally said I'm done with office work and I mm -hmm. went back to school. Um I did all my credits for a masters and then I started getting paid for doing journalism work and writing about food of all things cuz nice. who doesn't like food? <laughs> and it also included like people sending me free samples of mm. deli items and cheeses and sauces. So, you know, that was really cool. That's and whiskey. Awesome. I got whiskey. What? 
I know. Sign me up. (laughs) Yeah. So I did all that for a while. And then I started um, editing as well because I pretty much had always edited Mm -hmm. throughout that. So I'm like, hey, I've got a marketable thing. You want to give me money for it? And people said yes. (laughs) Nice. And so that's how I really ended up getting. I started with journalism. Um, I did online tutoring for seven years, helping students write their papers and then I edited, I edited uh, the Dungeons and Dragons online multi, massive multiplayer online role playing MMORPG. Nice. That came out um, over ten years ago now. Wow. <laughs> Good I job. And, yeah, and I've got I, between fifty and sixty novels that I've edited to this date. Oh my gosh. So. So what does an average day look like for you? Because like just leading up to this interview at all, it seems like you're all okay. Maybe an average week <laughs> might be easier to hear about, but I'm very yeah. curious. Um, an average week. Let's see. I usually have um, at least one novel or editing project that I spend some time on each day. Um, or... So, so I try and spread it out through days, and it actually ends up being one day is this, another mm-hmm. day is this, and another day is this. Um, but my Mondays usually start at the bookstore, uh, Annie's Bookstop of Worcester, where I do events planning. And I bring all the authors into the bookstore and do our PR stuff, run our blog, and things like that. I try to keep Tuesdays my work-at-home day. Mm-hmm. I'm mostly successful at that. <laughs> um, but that's when I actually clean out like the critter ca- the critter boxes um, I have a bunny and a rabbit. Uh-huh. Um, maybe do some dishes that have piled up over the weekend. Uh, I usually do critiques that are like hard paper critiques this day and organize my desk, which, you know, sometimes is over my head piled. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, uh, Wednesday is an oftentimes like out of the house day. I have a riding lesson on Wednesdays. I have a horse, too, on <laughs> top of all my stuff. <laughs> so I go to the barn and get my exercise at the barn playing with my horse. Then I usually have like a writing date with a couple people where the point is to turn off the internet specifically to mm-hmm. get writing done. Um, and uh, this coming this coming tomorrow, I've got my critique group. I've got two different critique groups that I meet with as well to try and get feedback on my projects. So part of being able to do all that is to have a lot of accountability partners. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have one phone accountability partner that I meet with and we check in on each other every week. My writing groups make sure that I have fresh writing every time we meet. Um, And then Thursday, Friday are either like going out of the house for meetings or going out and getting writing done. Um, And I'm usually up till about two or three in the morning. And I usually wake by choice if I have a choice in the matter between 10 and midnight, uh, 10 and noon. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I don't always have control over that. Yeah. And then. Fridays, I actually have a morning date with my husband where we actually go to the chiropractor because we both carried like massive book bags and destroyed our backs as students <laughs> <laughs> and have breakfast. And then we start the day and then the weekend is either conventions. On a rare occasion, I get to stay home and then catch up on a bunch more writing and editing, mm-hmm. maybe a little more cleaning. <laughs> Cleaning's at the very, very bottom of the list, but... Yeah. <laughs> I like the idea of getting food sponsors. I, I did say this before, like a while ago, but we should totally contact like Dan Aykroyd and get some of that Crystal Head vodka. It's like, hey, just send us a case of that. Be great. Oh, yeah. You know, anything yes. hor- horror themed food products. Mm-hmm. And we'll just be drinking while we do the interviews. Be great. <laughs> writer's Tears. <laughs> I, I, I did have great. the Writer's yeah. Tears whiskey, which was actually pretty good. Nice. <laughs> um, there's yeah, I was at a convention where there was a bunch of scotch drinkers. And the idea is you all bring different scotches and we share. <laughs> nice. And I'm all for that. I'm a big fan of scotch. Nice. Noted. <laughs> scotch, scotch, down in my belly. Yes. So <laughs> I, I love how you've built your life around this passion you have of writing and just like keeping yourself constantly moving forward on so many different things and editing and everything. Um, I don't know what that was going into other than just, damn. I'm just, I'm just right now. I don't, oh, I, I, there's still times I fail where I miss deadlines yeah. and stuff like that. And that like kills me when that happens. So it's not, I, I, I have a lot of stuff, but it's not perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is far from that. And I have a lot of all nighters where I'm like, oh crap, oh crap, oh yep. crap. With stronger language, I don't know what your listening <laughs> audience is. Sorry, sorry to break the, the fourth wall, but we sound really good right now. 
Just Do saying. We? Awesome. I, I, I've been just learning how to work this board. Like we, we started, we just took over <laughs> fifth season. We just took over nine story podcast. We got all this equipment and I've never used a mixing board in my life. And so, like, I'm like, what's this do? And all of a sudden, wow, it's like magic. We sound so much better now. Cool. We found the right knobs. I found, I, I found the gain knob here, and it's working like a charm. Jeanette sounds fantastic. Know. I, you can actually hear me this time, and we couldn't figure out why. I'm like, I'm projecting. Why can't you hear me? I'm just, mine. You're, it wasn't her fault. It was the stupid knob. <laughs> it's true. The knob was being a knob. That's all it is. So... <laughs> I'm curious, Trisha, at, at about how far back did you finally like find this rhythm that kept you in such a creative mode? Um, well, that's a really good question. I I wouldn't say it's a great rhythm. Like I said, I, I have these moments of like really like manic times, mm -hmm. and then times where I'm like, I think I'm dead. Wait, no, I'm I'm thinking, so I can't be dead. <laughs> Um, but it's something that it's very slowly evolved over the years. Like in college, I was always a last minute type of person. Mm -hmm. Um, so learning that I needed strong deadlines was something I picked up mm -hmm. in college. Um, in high school, you don't really notice that in college you do. I'm like, mm -hmm. Oh wait, I've got a deadline. Well, crap. All <laughs> <laughs> <Yep. laughs> um, so giving myself a, multiple deadlines does that. I'm still working on finding a balance where when I do have my crash days, it's not nearly as bad. Because when I do have a crash day, mm -hmm. I am like, I don't talk to me. There's no, nothing, nothing that can fix this day. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other thing that I had picked up that happens is because I keep things so tight, Mm -hmm. If I have like a big catastrophe, like there's an illness, there's someone needing me, like a family emergency, it's like dominoes mm -hmm. and it'll screw me up for one, two months, sometimes more, depending on how big the catastrophe is, mm -hmm. because it's just hard to manage emotionally and mentally all of that when you focus on when you know what I mean? Yeah, I so know exactly I, what you mean. <laughs> so it's, it's still an evolving thing, and I still have my share of failures, but I think they're getting much fewer and far between. <laughs> nice. I Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I feel like I'm kind of in that mode right now where I'm like, wow, I have this huge pile of stuff to finish where people like are counting on me with deadlines and stuff, but I, I, I dropped the ball somewhere, and I don't know where it rolled. <laughs> when, when I yes, get like... When I get completely off task and I can't get myself righted, I sit there for a second and I, I start thinking about this song from the animated Hobbit film, which is where there's a whip, there's a way. I start <laughs> having that in my, repeating in my head and then I start singing it and I'm like, okay, I'm motivated. Let's do this. Get pumped. Let's, let's write something. I think I need to just like hang a whip on the wall behind your desk so yeah. that you can... You can have that there. <laughs> Man. Just go grab it. <laughs> this podcast is going all sorts of places. <laughs> I think it's gone places. Who's steering the ship? You? Yes. Uh, <laughs> I let go of the wheel. I'm just going to see where this goes. <laughs> so, um, Trisha, two of the pieces that you've written that we have, uh, that I've read, that I do want to talk about mm -hmm. is, uh, one was Once Upon an Apocalypse, which is... Still one of my favorite collections of short stories, maybe ever. Um, oh, thank and you. Your story, Steadfast in the Face of Zombies, which was based on the Steadfast Tin Soldier, is just so beautifully heartbreaking. And I still find myself like a year later thinking about that story sometimes. Thank you. So um, it's actually still one of my favorite ones that I've written. Yeah. Believe it or not. Um, and I, and I love all my babies, but mm -hmm. that one, and that was also a last minute push for me as well, because, um, the two editors and I had been friends and they'd invited me to the anthology and I'm like, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And nothing was like clicking. So I'm like, mm -hmm. all right, I need you to give me a, a fairy tale that you want. Mm -hmm. And so um, Rona, one of the editors, was like, all right, Steadfast Tin Soldier, go. You've got three days. And I'm uh -huh. like, <laughs> <laughs> it's 
Talk about deadline. And I, and I did do it in three days. Wow. Including, including, um, fortunately it fell on like a week where I had a critique room meeting. <laughs> um, but I was sitting, there's a, one of the coffee shop cafes where I, I like, I also, again, I work with trying to get as much outside accountability as possible. So there's a writer's group in the Worcester area where we just have write-ins. And the point is to go somewhere, sit down and write. Mm -hmm. And so I'm in the middle of this coffee shop, diner, cafe area. And I'm typing the scene on the, on the submarine Mm -hmm. with the two shots, that one right there. And, and I'm like bawling. Yeah. And like, and so someone like taps me on the shoulder. Are you okay? Oh. And I'm like, yes, this is just such a hard scene to write. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I and I re- was like tears streaming down my face when I wrote that. And I'm like, oh, I hope this is as good as I think it is. It was. That yeah. one made so, me okay. cry also. That, re- that reminds okay. me of. It was uh, so tragic and so beautiful. That reminds me of Thank that you. story with Jeanette when she was in college and she was exa- <laughs> exhausted. This is totally unrelated, but I'll tell the story anyway. <laughs> it, so, it involves crying. It so does just, involve crying. That's the only tie. So crying in public places. That's the tie in. Once upon a time, <laughs> I was in college and I was only sleeping three to four hours a night the entire semester slash year except for Fridays I would sleep 10 hours on Fridays that was my one night off Um, (laughs) and I got to a point where I had was almost mm, to opening night of this one show that I had finished designing this was the second no like third show of the semester I was working on I was just working on way too many. Mm-hmm. Jeanette did uh, and theater. I did the theater, I did theater. So for anybody so. out there that doesn't, doesn't pick up exactly what we're talking Sorry. about. Sorry. I That's was in a, a theater design nights. program. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of sleepless nights. And what I had been doing was designing the set. And I'm in the graduate class for set design. And I'm just because apparently designing three shows and then going to regular undergrad classes was not just enough. I had to take grad courses. <laughs> Um, I'm in there and my professor turns to me and says, so Jeanette, what did you learn about sight lines during this production? And I just go, I don't know. (laughs) And proceed to like fall to bits. (laughs) And then my professor says, shh, it's okay. Just go take a nap in the corner. (laughs) And and for that class, I slept in the corner (laughs) of the room. (laughs) So... Um, exhaustion is what pushed me there. Not a great story. Just a sad, sad, long series of long nights. <laughs> so if Jeanette needs to cry in a scene, I'll just ask her, Jeanette, what did you learn about sight lines? I don't know. <laughs> and uh, sight lines, for those of you who might be curious, if you are watching a theatrical play, you can't see what's backstage. Those are sight lines. That's it. I, I apparently learned nothing. <laughs> so <laughs> I had the worst sight lines on that production is what uh, the issue was. <laughs> but that's really fantastic that your piece moved you that much. That is. That while writing that, you had that experience. <laughs> and I try to do that. I want to say, um, I don't know if it was Jim Moore or Chris Golden, but they do a lot of talks around the area. Um, especially since they've both moved up here now. Um, and one of them was saying is if you're writing and you're not being scared at the scary parts or sad at the, at the sad parts, then you might want to rethink that part. Mm-hmm. So, but at the same time, because I'm writing it and there's also this ego, like mm-hmm. you're just crying cause you know, you want it to be sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just your heart's elevated just because you think you want it to be scary. I I think it does. It was it was uh-huh. said genuinely a moving piece, mm-hmm. and um, thank you. Like you really, I mean, I don't, I I didn't remember this fairy tale. Jeanette had to remind me of this fairy tale. I did hear about it, but it's been such a long time that I really didn't remember it. So she's like, I'm like, what does this mean? What is this this tin soldier story? And and, <laughs> and so she explained it to me, and then I'm because I'm. You know, I, I was still very much moved at the end of the piece here, regardless of where it comes from. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just thought it was great because I think that some of the best drama, people don't end up making it at the end, but you still feel okay with that. You know, I think some mm-hmm. of the, some, especially in horror, when somebody doesn't make it on the, at the end, but you still are okay with it, the way it feels, it feels satisfying, regardless. Mm-hmm. 
uh, because it's not some traditional storybook ending because horror mm -hmm. isn't that, you know, it's unpredictable. Right. Yeah. That's, and that's why I go for the dark too, Yeah, because there's uh, going back to my lit classes, there's a sense of catharsis. And I think when you look at the tragedies, you've got that feeling, but with horror, it's a catharsis of the things that you fear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when someone doesn't make it, it's kind of a release as well. I mean, it's it's horror, it's horrible, and mm -hmm. you feel bad, but like you also get this immense, almost euphoria right after mm -hmm. that that just kind of pushes you. And that's why I tend to go with so much dark stuff. Um, and then I have, okay, I don't have a George R. R. Martin body count in my pieces, <laughs> but I have a fairly large body count when looking at all of my stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So what was, uh, one story, you don't have to tell us the character you kill off, but what was one story where there is a character that you loved that you just horribly murdered? <laughs> um, okay. That's, that's a tough to pick one because <laughs> there's two I'm working on that, that haven't come out yet. Mm -hmm. Um, where I, one of my beta readers who's helping me with it is is like, I hate you because I I showed him the scenes. It's it's a romance and mm -hmm. one of the partners just doesn't make it, and and he want, he's like I love you and I hate you <laughs> because I know it's gonna happen. Um, so there's that one, and then um for the children's book that I'm working on now, I wasn't expecting to kill any characters. Mm -hmm. But it was an all of a sudden, oh, you're going to die, aren't you? Yes. Yes, you are. And and it's a kid's book and I kill a character. <laughs> <laughs> I I like that you approach the, like I, I read, um, uh, the, what's, I have it next to me. The Kelpie. I don't know why I yes. blanked on it. I read the <laughs> Kelpie, which is amazing and everyone should go Thank buy you. it regardless of what reading level they are. Um, but that one... That one was like, it, it was exactly the kind of book that as a young reader, I was drawn to initially because it had that just like a, a legitimately terrifying sense of danger and kids like it, it's still like kids are still having fun. They're still exploring. There's still this magic to what they're experiencing, but it's fucking terrifying <laughs> like, at the same yeah. time you can curse honey it's fine i'll bleep yeah. myself out no no, no 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 <laughs> okay. it sounds so much natural so say, say, um, it, say it with vigor dear audience it's fucking terrifying <laughs> there you go the kelpie doesn't it written it, for middle schoolers it, scares the pants off of you it always makes me giggle when Jeanette curses because she doesn't curse very often so when That's she says it it doesn't true. sound angry it always sounds like Giddy and, and angry at the same time, like some kind of weird mix. Of Unless the two. I'm playing video games, in which case I sound like I'm about to kill someone yeah. with a controller. Any, <laughs> anything with Mario, and she's gonna throw the controller. I will the wall. actually murder someone. <laughs> Jeanette, do you need help with that platforming? Fuck you. Yeah, that yeah, does happen sometimes. She's, she's so we've been like losing days on end with the Legend of Zelda, the new game uh, that came out recently, and Jeanette usually doesn't play these kind of games nope. <laughs> or games in general. Uh, like the last one you played through was, uh, what was it? Under Undertale. 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 Yeah. And that was last year about this time. And that was, that was an interesting game, but like Zelda, like Jeanette's just been losing herself. And then I'll, I'll come. She, it's like my dad when he used to play Metroid on the NES <laughs> and he'd be like, he'd be like, it's like, there's parts of that game where you can get stuck down a pit and there's almost no way out. And if you die, yep. you're like stuck there. Like, it's just, it's, mm -hmm. there's just no way out of it. And so my dad would just, like, start cursing like a sailor and be like, everybody get out of the room until I finish this. You know, I, <laughs> I cannot this filter out. myself. Yeah. Um, I am, however, curious about where the Kelpie came from. And I know you have at least one sequel, right? Or is there more now? Yes, there's there's one sequel. Uh, it's called Earl's Child. Um, the, the other, the publishing horror story behind that, though, mm -hmm. is that the publisher got bought out <gasps> uh -oh. and they're not continuing the series. And there is some discrepancies in some of our royalty statements. Oh, and because oh. I'm trying to work through that, I don't want to say more. That's fair. But yeah. So but it is there. Um, and uh, if you see me at a convention 
uh, it would be really cool if you bought it from me as opposed to other sources, because then I know I'm getting the money. <laughs> yeah. Just so everybody directly contact her for this book. We will. <laughs> yeah. If you email us and say, I want a copy of this book, or email Trisha, we'll figure yeah. that out so that you actually get money. And I will sign Trisha. it and draw pictures in it for you, too. She does. It's cool. Yeah. So so that and Earl's Child. And it actually came about... Um, so I, I have a horse now, but mm-hmm. I worked in horse rescue for about 10 years before that. And so when you're dealing with horses, they're, they're beautiful, they're gorgeous, and they're fucking terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> so I, there was a gelding. Uh, he wasn't a gelding. He was a colt, and he was too sick. So, so since we're dropping the F-bomb, I can yeah, go be for a it. little more graphic. Sure. His testicles hadn't descended. Oh. Mm-hmm. So he was also a stallion, but getting big. And stallions uh-huh. are dangerous unless you're trained to deal with them. Mm-hmm. And this one time I was walking him. We didn't do much with him. Like the idea was to walk them and socialize them and brush them and remind them that humans can be good people, can be good. Mm-hmm. Um, but our neighbor across the way had two new mares. Uh-oh. And one of them must have been in heat or something. Because he, the second he got out of the barn, he's on a lead rope. And the lead rope, you've got like... Uh, seven eight to ten feet on that uh-huh. and i'm walking him and um he smells and he like takes off and like rears and oh is like just i'm like oh, i am going to die in this moment i am oh, going to die oh no <laughs> so i gathered my breath and finally got him under control because they they do give us a fair amount of training mm-hmm. like you make them turn and keep having them turn and do circles yeah and then I got him back into the barn. There were no injuries. Good. Just, you know, my heart almost beating out of its chest. Uh-huh. And like, wow, that was probably the most terrifying moment in my life. Um, and then while I was writing Kelpie, um, when I was trying to figure out the ending, I had, um, I got run over by a horse. Oh, no. I had just gotten my horse and she was staying at a barn uh-huh. and I had uh, taken my mother-in-law and I brought my horse in and I asked my mother-in-law to close the barn door, not realizing it was really heavy and I'm stronger than most people assume, stronger than I realize. Uh-huh. So she was having a hard time closing the barn door. And so the horse was like a four-year-old. So that's, you know, for a human equivalent, like between 10 and 12, like kid. <laughs> now, this horse was a cross between a Percheron and a Clydesdale. And if you don't know oh. what those breeds are, imagine the Nazgul horses uh-huh. with their shoulders uh, over your head. Whoa. Pure black, giant puppy dog horse oh. <laughs> comes bursting through this narrow hallway of the barn. And I'm like, <gasps> again, I am going to die. Uh-huh. I let go of my horse because that's the best thing to do in that situation because uh-huh. you're just going to hurt more people so she goes to a far corner Mm -hmm. and this horse is like bounding like a giant labrador (laughs) i fall backwards she grazes my ankle and grazes my ribs breaks the ribs yeah um ankle probably had a hairline crack in it or something grabs an entire bale of hay and starts frolicking outside It sounds both fun and terrifying. Yeah. Yes. Were you, were you laughing, and, but in also in pain at the same time? Yes. And the um, my adrenaline was so spiked yeah. that I did not even feel the pain in my body uh-huh. until I was halfway home in the car. Wow. And by then I'm like, I, I, ooh, my, uh. all of a sudden it's getting really hard to breathe. It's, yes, exactly. Is it hot in here? <laughs> Um, so, so that got worked into some of the scenes. Yeah. Um, and then the opening scene with the two horses of Kelpie actually came from a horse training book by Monty Roberts, who mm-hmm. the movie The Horse Whisperer was based off of. Now, when you have two stallions meet, they hate each other and they want to kill each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's just a given because, you know, you're, you're you know, you're either going to try and kill the other one and take their mares or you've got to kill the other one before he comes in and takes your mares. And so the posture that I described with them hunched down yeah. and that creepy crawly thing, yeah. I saw one of them do, one of the geldings do that when we had a new one. I'm like, that is fucking 
creepy yeah to see a horse move like a predator whoa i need to find a video of that and add that to our show notes because i've never seen that i didn't know that was a real thing it is and and that's like i totally need to include that when the two stallions are facing off because oh you get shivers oh man (laughs) is there is there a, a a term for that uh, not off the top of my head that I know. Look up like um, two but... stallions and creepy crawl yeah. horse. I bet it'll pop up. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to, I don't have, I actually lent the book to the barn where I have my horse, mm-hmm. so I can't go grab it and flip to the chapter. So, but it's um in uh, Monty Roberts, From My Hand to Yours. And it's one of the opening chapters. We'll so reading worse behavior books is a yeah. great way to give yourself nightmares. Apparently. <laughs> and Jeanette, why don't you, or uh, Trisha actually, Trisha, why, for the yeah. audience, why don't you give everybody a little bit of a description of what Kelpie is all about? Kelpie yeah. is uh, the story, it's based on Scottish mythology of Kelpies, mm-hmm. which are child-eating fairy horses that live in bodies of water. Some stories have them in the oceans, some in locks, some in between. Um, and Scotland is full of wa- evil water fairy, but... The Kelpie appears like a horse. Um, kids are like, ooh, a horse. And they climb on its back and it drags them underwater and eats them. <laughs> so the story of the Kelpie is about an 11 year old girl and her best friend um, who happens to also be a prince in England. Um, thinking that they're going to do a better job than the police to figure out where some missing kids have gone. And they managed to piss off the Kelpie. <laughs> And adventures and trying to fix the situation ensue. Perfect. I, Thank you. I adore this book. I just Thank you. everyone needs to buy a copy from you specifically. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and since we didn't mention Once Upon an Apocalypse, which everyone should also go run and buy a copy of, is a bunch of fairy tales retold as zombie apocalypse stories. So if you like zombies, fairy tales, or just being terrified or heartbroken, read that book. <laughs> and uh, Trisha, and, and Trisha is one of the uh, there, yeah. uh, sorry, is one of the authors on that. It's an yes, anthology. So. It is an anthology. Yeah. Yes. It's a really and I've I enjoyed reading it myself. So I'm really happy to share those pages with the authors that are in there. Yeah. So it, it was yeah. a really fantastic collection. Um, Thank you. So what have you been making? Lately, what was that face, Alex? Because you were telling me before the difference between a collection and an anthology. Oh, oh. yes. I got, right. I got, I got, I got, I got a book slap it's an on the anthology. wrist. Yes. I apologize. Mm-hmm. This is an anthology because there are multiple authors with multiple <laughs> stories. A collection is one author, multiple stories. Y'all are now better educated than my brain. You're welcome. <laughs> um, air, high, air high five to everybody. <laughs> air high five. And uh, off of that tangent, Trisha, you had a huge list of things that you're just currently yeah. coming up slash um, just came out. Let's hear about it. Yeah. <laughs> so coming recently out, um, I'm another anthology that I'm really proud to be a part of is the New England Horror Writers put out Wicked Witches, mm-hmm. which I have a story poem in there um, based on Puritan ideas of women and... And I really loved it. And I had a great time reading that one out loud because it's wicked creepy. Nice. Um, so I have a story. I have a story poem in that. And that also amazing selection of authors in this anthology. Um, also out in uh, October is I did a novella with Pole to Pole Publishing called Tea with Mr. Fuzzy Pants. <laughs> and the reviewers say it's safe for kids. I had not intended it. So I, I will put a, I think parents should read it before handing it to their children. But that was a story where in my head, I wanted to play with almost a magical realism mm-hmm. and poor parenting decisions <laughs> and, and stuff like that. So the tagline for that, which I love is, is uh, inviting a dead bunny to tea. Wasn't dad's first mistake. <laughs> Wow, that just says so much already. (laughs) It's a sentence. Good job. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So yeah, so I and I love that one because I've had rabbits all my life too, Mm -hmm. and rabbits are also evil little creatures. (laughs) So I adore them, but they're evil. They're just yeah. (laughs) 
they're not for their weak of heart. Um, the what, other one uh, that just yeah. out of curiosity, what about rabbits is so terrifying? They're smart. Yeah. They figure out problems. They demand you respect them even more than cats do. Oh. So my current rabbit Vash, who's uh, a mix, he's a 10 pound monstrosity. <laughs> And he will come up to you and he will yank at your ankles and put his head down. And if you don't pet him, he will bite your ankles. <laughs> um, my two rabbits before that, Miss Retta and Loki, I did not name him. I generally know better than to name any animal Loki, mm-hmm. but you know, <laughs> they would work together and move chairs so they could get onto the kitchen table and shove all the fruit or flowers or whatever was on there to the floor and eat it. And they would frame each other for when they were doing stuff they knew they weren't supposed to do. <laughs> it wasn't me. It was the other one. Exactly. It was, it was, it's hilarious and, and creepy. And I also if you've it. ever seen a rabbit eat a strawberry or raspberry. Yeah, it is legitimately it, freaky. I used to yes. have a, uh, um, I think it was like a, a gerbil or a hand. I think it was a, a hamster and it, um, you know, like in the secret Nim when, when Mrs. Frisbee is mm-hmm. like, unwrapping the wire and getting out of the the cage yes. and then cuts herself yep. and all that so yes. we had like a a bird cage we had used to have finches my parents used to have finches and then when we got rid of the finches uh they they either flew away or we gave them the friends or whatever we just my mom didn't like the feathers everywhere she hated the dander and feathers and whatever so <laughs> we got uh, a hamster and we put it in the, the bird cage and we cleaned it all up and we, it was all you know fresh and had water in there but the hamster would lift the 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 latch like the the the, the sliding door yeah, no and problem. so we we oh, tied yeah. we took like twisty ties and we tied each of the doors for the food and the water and the main door <laughs> with twisty ties and then i saw the hamster stick its hands out of the bar grab the freaking wire <laughs> and unwrap it and mm-hmm. i was like holy crap like a friend of mine used to have one that he used to call houdini and he would put like he'd put it like under a cup like, a, a cup over it and then he'd lift mm-hmm. the cup and he was just gone. <laughs> like, they didn't know how the hell he got yeah. away. And, you know, it was just like, these I don't know. People underestimate yeah, Ms. animals. Miss <laughs> Retta, who was my first rabbit, I had to do, I was constantly changing additional locks on her cage. Huh. And it was a tough one where you actually had to push it in and down. Mm-hmm. She had that down pat when she thought we weren't looking. I was hiding and she didn't see me. And I saw her open her mouth all the way and pull it in and down and come out. <laughs> and i'm done here yep. so i'm sorry to interrupt you but i was just very That's curious because i think of rabbits and i'm like well they're cute right apparently most no, of the they're time vicious. <laughs> they also attack they're very territorial oh oh yeah so i had vash and his brother and i had to separate them for a long time because they would go at each other and miss retta who was a little five pounder mm-hmm. went after everybody if she didn't like them <sighs> And I had my foot on the floor and she thumped on it, looked at me and peed right on my foot. Oh, no. Oh, she was pissed. Making eye contact the whole time. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Don't piss off a rabbit, guys. This is what we learned today. That's pretty much now. And so now I've had, so I also have a, I'm working on one. I haven't put it out yet. So now I've had my evil horse. I've got my evil bunny. I have a cat and she, now I just have a, I recently finished writing and in edits for a futuristic sci-fi cat dystopia um, where cats are all genetically modified and you have gen mod cat shows. And, 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 and the cat also is, is, extremely smart and extremely evil in that because I have this theory that continues to um, be supported in all of my animals. The smarter they are, the more evil they are. (laughs) Quite honestly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Why do you think humans can be so evil? (gasps) Exactly. I mean, if you look at the animals that are closer to us in intelligence, Mm -hmm. their capacity for horrible things that they actually do in nature Mm -hmm. is massive. Like dolphins, orca Mm -hmm. whales, they have gangs, they're rapists, awful things. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) The more you know, intelligence equals violence. So um, when you when you write, you write a lot in horror, as I've seen. Do you, and it sounds like you kind of flutter into other genres as well. Which ones do you find the most uh, satisfying? Um, 
mixes between basically i actually find myself almost equally at home in fantasy and horror Mm -hmm. so when i can combine the two that's my happiest so if i do fantasy it's still going to be dark and and horrible things are going to happen um and then my horror usually tends to have fantastic elements in it and scott didn't leave the lights on sorry (laughs) sorry i thought it was a critter hi human (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i didn't realize that that my husband came home i didn't realize he had turned the lights off and locked the door oh (laughs) (laughs) that works All right. Um. So yeah, mostly I stay in like fantasy, and then that ends up turning into horror because mm-hmm. I don't know. I have horrible, evil things in my mind, and and I exercise them by writing them on the paper. You're too intelligent <laughs> to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> I found that with most horror authors, is they're extremely smart, extremely nice, like sweet, nice, kind, mm-hmm. giving people. And the reason for that, I believe, is that we write some of the most horrific and awful things and we put it all on the paper <laughs> and then we share it <laughs> exactly. yes yes this is totally fine I judge just, me all you like i just it watched matter. The, uh, <laughs> i just went and watched the film uh, get out i don't know if you've heard of that film oh i have not seen it yet but i want to there's a concept in the film and when you see it you'll know what i'm talking about it's called the sunken place and okay. and when i saw the film and i saw that part of the film and they were explaining that uh, it reminded me quite a bit of my own uh, writing when I, because I write in this kind of disconnected way where I don't, I'm like somewhere else, and because I, when I write night, my stuff it's very nightmarish. Some of my things are just kind of like this, uh, it's like disconnected. Like I'm not, I'm out, of, I'm like an out of body experience, and like you're on, you're not mm-hmm. in control, you're not in control, right? And, and, yes. And so when I watch the film, it really, really connected to that part of my writing and I'm like oh that makes sense like that's really kind of if I could explain how I write or why I write that way in in you know exercising that horror from my own nightmares mm. and, and personal experiences and all that it would be equated to that concept of the sunken place when you see that you'll know what I'm talking Ooh, about okay and I'm extra excited to see the film I, I haven't seen it yet well, either <laughs> so that's definitely on my list of things yeah. I want to hear um I saw that you were also saying that you've written a lot of dark poetry lately, and I'm very curious, one, about how you approach writing poetry. So I'll start there. How do you how do you approach that? (laughs) Okay, I tend to write poetry in fits and spurts where I'll something will hit me emotionally and I'll like hit the button in my head that's like write poetry and I'll write like three to six poems just and I can't think of anything else. And when I'm thinking, I'm thinking in like a verse and a rhythm. So that happens. And then I'll go for sometimes three, six or more months and not do any poetry. And then I'll be inspired to go back and look at the other stuff. So I had an opportunity recently with the Blackstone Valley Art Association um, to be paired with an artist. And what we were doing is we would meet and then we would each do an initial piece. And then... Um, the artist I was working with was um, a photographer. So he would take the poem that I wrote and find and create a photo based on that. And I would take the photo he sent me and then go and write a poem on that. Um, And my poetry tends to reflect, again, it's more emotional. And one of the things when it comes to all the writing, because I do poetry, short fiction, medium fiction, and giant ass novels Mm -hmm. (laughs) so in each of those the story has its own medium and uh, one of the things that when I was studying journalism in college is that the medium is as much part of the message as the message of the medium and so if I have an idea I know if it's supposed to be a poem or if it's supposed to be a short story sometimes I can wrestle one into the other Mm -hmm. but it needs to be something short or Um, even with my longer poems that those are like a short story idea Mm -hmm. and they just come out with the rhythm and the fact that you have rhythm and pauses or a refrain is part of the story itself. So it needs that. Um, so when I know when I, once I get my brain worked on poetry, 
the ideas that fit a poetic medium start coming. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I suppose it's not a surprise that I was kind of in a dark place this past fall. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's when I got assigned this whole thing. So that all just got worked into it. And it's, it's more deeply emotional mm-hmm. and like theoretical. It's a poem to me is not as concrete as a short story. It's for the stuff that you can't really explain. So that all got worked into it. And after I had met the person, I just had even more ideas Mm -hmm. just of things that were either annoying me or scaring me or um, making me very sad or amusing me. So it's more those emotions that'll say, okay, this needs a poem because the strongest element of it is the emotion. And by having a poem that doesn't fit a story arc necessarily, that can encompass the emotion even more I don't know if that makes sense (laughs) that does make sense because like I sometimes I'll write poetry as well and it often also tends to be dark because horror is our favorite thing yeah um Alex as well uh writes a lot of poetry and and I think you're right like it's poetry is so much more motivated by a moment by by like a breath by an emotion than it is Mm -hmm. by anything else and I've I've been really just kind of wondering lately, like, why is it sometimes a poem comes out? Like, why do I, I couldn't really articulate why I feel like poetry is so important and it doesn't get enough attention a lot of the time. But I do feel it's important. And I think it is because it isolates the emotion and it allows you to really just address that without being like going into a Mm -hmm. full novel about explaining just this one thing you felt. (laughs) Yeah, because with a novel or even a short story, you have to deal with all the aspects of setting and character development and plot movement. Mm -hmm. With a poem, you can take the time to explore the emotion behind it from many different views. Mm -hmm. And you do that with the word choice, with the sentence structure, with the rhythm of each sentence. Um, And part of I, I, I love punctuation and I love grammar, um, which is totally nerdy and geeky. But when you study that and learn the rules of it, when you get to writing a poem and you specifically choose to follow or break those rules, um, then you can look at it a different way. It, it's like breaking open a stick and looking at the rings. As a writer myself, like I write for the blog every week and, I, and it gives me accountability that I have to write something, whether it be a short horror story or a poem or something. And depending on where I am emotionally or, or uh, focus wise, uh, I, if I need if I can't get a story out, I'll crank out a poem. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do get something really emotional and punchy out of it, you know, 99 percent of the time. But I, I wanted to know your process when you're writing a poem. Uh, what do you typically do or, or where do you typically pull from? I, well, with a poem, one of the, normally I write anything else with music in the background. Mm -hmm. I can't do that with poetry. So Mm -hmm. I turn off music and that kind of gets me in the mindset because of the rhythm of the poem. And usually I'll do a first draft of a poem in one sitting. And that kind of has to be done in one sitting for me just to get it all out and kind of puke it onto the (laughs) keyboard. (laughs) Um, And then I do a lot of editing on it. Um, and I read it out loud over and over. Like I read my short stories and all my other stuff out loud too. Cause I think that's the greatest thing a writer can do to proofread themselves mm-hmm. with a poem. I read it like I'm performing it mm-hmm. and I'll actually pull up like audacity or something and listen to it play back. Yeah. Um, and I actually, I think poems to me in a sense are harder yeah. than the prose mm-hmm. because with prose, every sentence has to do like double duty mm-hmm. with a poem. Every word and piece of punctuation is doing double, if not triple duty. So, so that's what it is. So I'll analyze each word choice. And then I have a few friends who are specifically poetry people and I'll share with them. And like I have one of my writers groups has a few poets in it and I'll save it and bring my poetry to that writer's group. So it goes through a lot of iterations I I can see that. And I I actually do the same thing when I write poetry. I have to perform it out before I feel like it's good. I'll I'll write it in one go, 
go through, rewrite, 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 mm-hmm. read it, read it, read it, rewrite. And then I'm like, okay, I have a poem. <laughs> yes. <laughs> do you find you work within any, other than like a certain rhythm, do you have any in like particular structures you like to work with? Like I, the only thing that is popping into my head right now is iambic pentameter, which is Shakespeare's <laughs> style of writing things, but there's lots and lots of different types of structures for poems. But I'm curious, is there any that you find yourself drawn to? Most of my stuff is free verse that I have its own meter to, Mm -hmm. but some poems come to me and inform me very soundly that they need to be a particular thing. So um, I have one that is in um, iambic iambic hexameter um, couplets. uh, No, uh, Mm ABAB, that specific. And then for the children's book that I'm working on now. So I did this as a NaNoWriMo mm-hmm. project. It was in my head. It's, I love it. It's called The Circus Under the Bed. <laughs> and, and, and my uh, plug line for it is um, if Monsters, Inc. and the Borrowers were told via Neil Gaiman. <laughs> <laughs> and as I started to write it, poetry kind of attacked. And mm-hmm. I'm like, this is NaNoWriMo. I don't have time for poetry. <laughs> But no, it wouldn't leave me alone. So Mm -hmm. I ended up writing several poems as world building, which was cool, but also annoying as fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Because these ones had to be, they told me that they had to be a particular rhythm Uh and and rhyme and rhyme scheme. Mm -hmm. And so I did that. And that was so hard. Mm -hmm. And then for each of the particular types of, creatures that lived under the bed they had now when i'm doing NaNoWriMo in my head i was like oh, i'll just write a little sonnet for them but then i looked at it and they're not sonnets they're missing um four lines mm-hmm. so i call them nonnets <laughs> <laughs> i mean that seems appropriate a monster gets a nonnet not a sonnet yeah yeah <laughs> and so all of them are in that particular form oh that's fun and, and yeah so, and then I edited one of them to send separately from the piece. It was standalone. It's standalone-able. Mm-hmm. And that one, I went back and forth with one of my poetry beta readers to really hammer it because it just wasn't working. And one of the things that I love when you have trustworthy beta readers, be it poetry or, or prose, they know to ask you questions. So... Her suggestion for how to fix it didn't work, but the way she asked the question and what she thought was a good fix made my head wrap around. Oh, wait, no, no, this is what I need to do. I need it to be, and that one did end up being iambic pentameter <laughs> with um, a break, and it has a really, it has a slightly, as an odd rhyme scheme. Nice. Because, yeah, because there's a, a mid break where the it needs to rhyme with circus under the bed, all the last lines. A, a, that. You know, a nonnet sounds like the punchline of a bad joke. <laughs> like there's like a whole bunch of writers in a, in a dark room and somebody says, who wants this really hard, you know, assignment? And everybody goes, nonnet. <laughs> <laughs> nonnet. And then the one person who didn't like speak up goes, ah, oh, damn it. I have to, I have to nonnet. Um, so for, uh, Again, out of curiosity. So many of my questions are out of genuine curiosity. Uh, do you have any resources, books, poets that you would recommend to people who want to learn more about really getting into learning about actually structuring their poetry a little bit more? Um, that's a good question. I, I do have the Webster Rhyming Dictionary. Nice. That's kind of a necessary thing, even though I, most of my poems don't rhyme. That was just, I had it the whole time while I was writing all the poems that required rhyme. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a huge fangirl of Linda Addison. Um, she, I met her at Icon some years ago, and she read her, it was like one of her first, it was before she won her first Stoker. <laughs> and her poetry, like, I told her this after many drinks at another convention, your poetry (laughs) broke my brain in the best possible way. Nice. (laughs) So I love her stuff and I would highly recommend all of hers. Um, uh, Other poetry. I just, I love, there's a lot of local poets in the Worcester area. So Mm -hmm. I just read them. I go to poetry readings 
And I watch them on YouTube too, because that oh, also nice. gives me an idea of performance. Yeah. Um, so because part of poetry for me is not just reading it, as I want to imagine myself performing it. Mm-hmm. So watch other people, see what you like. Poetry, I think even more than prose, is very much what do you like? Yeah. What right. moves you? Yeah, I used to um, go to uh, um, some slam poetry things uh, in Hartford, Connecticut, and then I started um, being a part of open mics, and I did a couple of open mics that I created where I would perform along with other people, and I really found that to be so helpful because mm-hmm. sometimes on the page something sounds dead to me or not interesting, and then I'll read it, and it sounds so much more interesting read aloud yeah. or performed. And uh, I just think it, it tends to keep, you know, bring it to life. And I like the concept uh, quite a bit of slam poetry because it's super personal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're in a room with a bunch of strangers and people are doing these really deep personal pieces. And they're almost yeah. like exercising the the negative. Uh, there's a one guy who mm-hmm. was talking about um, his abusive stepfather. And he would look out like he's looking at a stop spotlight above the audience. And he would do his piece and by the time he was done with the piece, he had this huge smile on his face. And it's almost like he's just letting all that negative out. And he's taking all the applause and all the positive energy in the audience into himself yeah. and pushing out all the negative. And he fe- he looks super happy. He's like bouncing around afterwards, mm-hmm. talking to people. And I'm like, that's awesome. I want to do that. Yes. And no, I agree. I There's huge feeling of like when you do perform, just this rush of this change of emotions. Like I said, most of the stuff I do is dark. So mm-hmm. I'm like putting it out there and I'm putting myself in the poet person with my voice and all of that. And it just, it is, you have that movement and it, it's amazing. This is where we have you on, on Skype that uh, I can see this little statue of a unicorn above your head in the background and it i think we had the exact same one in our Mm -hmm. short film never say goodbye on our website yeah but that's a bigger version is it a bigger version that's a bigger version i'm gonna send you a link to that to our short it's it's a short there's actually a collection of them all up there they're really and then the my little pony is all the way over nice yeah we we did we we did a horror web series and there was a, a one called never say goodbye and it was set in an antique shop and so we bought a few things that we were going to break that's going to mm-hmm. happen because of the ghost. You know, the girl gets scared by the ghost and she she breaks and she happens to admire this little porcelain unicorn. And then she's staring at it and then she gets scared and she drops it and it breaks. And it's, I don't know. And, and he oh. sees a, a porcelain unicorn. So maybe that would horrify you because you like those things. So Alex's so, collection. Like Alex, duck your head for them. a second. <laughs> so What's she up? can see your collection. Duck your head for a oh, second. Whoa. Uh, you see I just the dragon. beginning of his amiibo collection. Oh, cool. <laughs> There's a lot of them. Nice. Jeanette got these, these really cool baseball. Jeanette got these really cool baseball bat cases that she put them in. It goes further, oh, but it. yeah, they look pretty badass on the, on the wall now. I'm really, I'm really proud of my decorating of your knickknacks, yes. Alex. <laughs> Yeah, so there's the, the shelf you see above my head actually mm-hmm. goes all the way around the room. Nice. And like has all of our, our cool things that we've collected. Thing that's awesome. Up there. And my husband put that up um, after we took over the house and moved cool. in. That, that's one thing that I really want to um, do as a series is like so there was an artist who went to other artists studios and then recreated their studios in miniature. I think it would be fascinating Ooh. to see what writers surround themselves with, because I feel like all of us, we don't like like rooms that are just clean and neat and organized. No, so yeah. many of us seem to just collect things and surround ourselves <laughs> with all sorts of stuff. So we, I'm sorry, we got totally off topic. Yeah, but uh, Great. that happens a lot on the ninth story. We're just like tangent. Ooh. <laughs> um. So Trisha, now that we're back on topic, where can people uh stalk you in a way that you will find pleasant? Mm-hmm. Um, I am on Facebook. Uh. Under both novel friend and Trisha J. Wildridge. I'm doing better about actually updating my Trisha J. Wildridge page. Nice. Um, I, I keep promising I'm going to pick up blogging again, but I do have a regular website, which mm-hmm. is a novelfriend.com. And let's see, those are probably the best ways to get me online. And I'm usually pretty open to. Um, if I've met you in person, like I'll give you my card and I'm open to getting emails and stuff too. Nice. Do you do the Twitters at all? 
I have a Twitter account. It's at Novel Friend, but I don't use it as often as I should. That's fair. It's hard to juggle multiple platforms. Um, we'll share this episode with you on that and in, in other places as well. So we'll, okay. we'll also tag you on our Facebook page. Yeah. That'll be fine. Thank you. But um, cool. yeah, thank you so much for talking to us. I know you're super busy with all of these things that you've been creating and all of the stuff that you do, but I just wanted to talk to you. You're just fascinating. <laughs> thank you so much. I'm really happy to be on your show. And then I love meeting you guys at Rock and Shock too. Yeah. So I was very happy to do this. Yeah. <laughs> this was a lot of fun. It was. Geeking about books and poetry, oh my. Yes. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> Along with the song we sang for you that you, you didn't hear. <laughs> cool. So, yeah, everyone, thank you for listening to this interview with Trisha J. Woldridge. You are J. Woldridge, right? Or did I add yes. that? Ooh. No, it's, I go, uh, I, most of my publishing is, um, yeah. for my, for, so if you know that I think it's child friendly, uh-huh. it's under TJ Wooldridge. Oh. If I'm not sure if it's child friendly or not, I'll publish it as Trisha J. Wooldridge. Now, you know, TJ equals PG. <laughs> Trisha J., if your kids get the jokes, it's not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> That's you being an awesome parent and sharing too much too young. <laughs> That's what cartoons tell us, too. It's so. true. Most cartoons, there's all sorts of jokes that you're not going to get as a kid that you totally yeah. get as an adult. And you're like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> that and, is so true. And you end much. Yes. <laughs> outro. Outro, outro, outro. This podcast has been brought to you by the sponsorship of Rode Microphones. They made it possible for you to hear our voices every week. Thanks, Rode. And if you also need to record things and have other people hear what you are doing with your mouth or musical instruments, I don't know, then you should go to Rode.com, R-O-D-E.com. We, for, we, um, just, we just figured out how to turn the knobs correctly on the board. It's awesome. Hey, that's not Rode's fault. <laughs> Thank you so much, Road, for sponsoring our podcast. And thank you for listening to our show. You guys made it to the end. You are awesome. You get 10,000 banana stickers. 10,000 banana stickers. Good job. What are those, what are those bananas from uh, uh, Zelda? What are they called? Mighty bananas. Mighty bananas. You get 10,000 bunches of mighty bananas in Zelda. So your potassium is going to be out of control. If you want to find us, you can go either to podcast.ninthstory.com or you can find us on Twitter at Ninth Story Podcast. That's right. And uh, if you want to read some of the stuff that we are doing, then you can find it on horrormade.com because that's where we put most of our stuff. That's H-O-R-R-O-R-M-A-D-E.com. Hey, guess what? What? You made it to the very end of the episode. I said that already. I don't care. Now you get to be rewarded with the songs we sang to Skype testing. You're welcome. Please record a message. Afterwards, your message will be played back to you. Everybody was kung fu fighting. I want to order Chinese food. And then I want it fast as lightning. Put it in my belly. Put it in my belly. Why am I still hungry? Because I ate too much tofu. Everybody was kung fu fighting. I want to order Chinese food. You should put that in the video. We should get Chinese food. <laughs> put it in my belly. Put it in my belly. Can that be the outro this week? I'm still hungry. <laughs> if you are able to hear your own voice, then you have configured Skype correctly. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.